Good morning, everyone. How is everyone this morning? I love that story. Beep, beep. That was good. I'm Jeff, and uh, welcome to Friends Church again. For those that are here in person or online, glad you're tuning in, and uh, you're in for a good one this morning. This is going to be a workout. Uh, I, look at I'm here to um, make an announcement. Um, every now and then, we make a big announcement. This is one of those. Uh, last Friday, so not this just past Friday, but Friday before, uh, Vince and I received a letter a resignation from Carmen Cocott, our Switch student ministry pastor. Uh, that, for some, was a huge shocker. Now, for those of us that, that know Carmen and Krista well, um, we weren't completely surprised by it. They're getting ready to move down to Costa Rica. And if you've known them for very long, you know that something like this has been on their heart for a long time. In fact, we thought they were going to be headed to Maui a few years ago, and that plan didn't materialize, but this one, this one has. And uh, I have to say, I'm so excited for them. Uh, This is a huge adventure for them. Big, big. And, you know, it's great when anyone, anyone has a dream, and they're planning, and they're thinking about it, and they're breathing it, and finally the door opens for them to do it. Uh, Anyone that loves a person that sees them doing that should be jumping up and down for joy when someone finally takes a plunge and saying, we're going. It's like, yeah, high five. Um, But selfishly, as a friend, I'm sad. I've known Carmen since junior high. Like, holy smokes. We've worked together for 17 years. He's been in this role. And if you're familiar with Switch, you know that what they've built there is nothing short of remarkable. It's, it's amazing. And uh, so anyways, we're going to be planning a big farewell for Carmen, and, and we'll do it in official capacity and say goodbye as a community. You'll hear more about that in the next little bit. But in the meantime, I wanted to let you know that Switch is alive and well. The student ministry that you guys maybe, if you don't have kids in junior high and senior high, you don't necessarily see an operation. It happens every second week in the social hall, and there is a pile of kids and leaders involved in that program. Thankfully, Carmen built this in a way that wasn't centered just around him. There's a team of over 16 leaders I think there's 18 leaders that are involved in that. They just got back from their annual retreat up at Camp Evergreen. Trevor's mentioned it because he's one of our, our team leaders in Switch. One of the largest groups that they've had in years. Switch is probably healthier now than it's ever been. Carmen said, if there was ever a time that I feel good about leaving, it's right now. It, this, is, this team is ready to go and there's lots of excitement huge batch of young kids coming into the program. So we're excited about that. I've already had a number of the team leaders reaching out going, what do you need? How can we help in the transition? Whoever that new person is or whatever, however that works, I'm happy to help kind of guide them through and and get them all set up. So we've had a great response from our leadership team. So we're on the search now. We're looking for the right person who can take Switch up to the next level. I already met with someone yesterday who's interested in the position. Uh, An incredible candidate. Uh, I'm excited. I think actually 
some incredible days are ahead um, as we transition this thing into a whole new look, a different field. That's, that's a beautiful thing about change, is it, it forces us who get comfortable in certain places to step out. All of a sudden, someone goes missing who's always doing this and that and this and that. All of a sudden, other people are going, hey, you need someone? Hey, I, I, I'll do that. All of a sudden, you see all these gifts stepping outside. And even younger people stepping up going, hey, I, I, I can do that. And what we discover through change is, is a beautiful thing. You see this everywhere, right? Change is healthy if we embrace it. So, so we're going to make this happen. We're going to go big over the next little while and get the transition all mapped out. We'll report to you back as things develop there. In the meantime, can I ask you to do, can I ask you to do me, to do us a favor? And that is, if you see Carmen, or even if you don't see him, if you could reach out to him, for anyone that's had any contact with this guy, he is a legend by youth ministry standards. They say a dog, a dog year is once every, uh, uh, lapses a year every 52 days. I read that. Youth pastors are the same breed. Like, you do 17 years of youth ministry, man, that's like a lifetime. I don't know of anyone in this city that's done more for kids, for, for students, than this guy named Carmen Cocott. So if you could help us in celebrating the, the incredible legacy that he's leaving behind, that would be great. Uh, you can reach him, Carmen, at friendschurch.ca. Um, but we'll have an opportunity in person here shortly. Okay, so that's that. Sad, but exciting. Sad, but exciting. That's life, isn't it? Well, like I said, you're in for a treat this morning, but before I'll, I'll let uh, Kelty come up and, well, this is part of the treat. <laughs> this is part of the treat. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Kelty, that came out wrong. Anyways, Kelty Kello, everyone. Before you get the treat, you get me, um, which is totally fine. This is me asking you for money. So the treat is coming, but you're going to have to wait about two and a half minutes before that comes. Um, my name is Kelty, and this part of the service is called Charitable Giving, where we do two things. One is we thank those people who are donating to French Church. It is through your generous donations that we are able to bring this service to you today, whether you're here live, whether you're at home, um, to allow the great teen program that Carmen's been running for 17 years to run, the kids program downstairs, all sorts of outreach programs um, and, and groups together. So it is through your generosity that we can bring that to you. The second part is to let you know if you don't know how to give to French Church, how to do that. And that's not just for people who are sitting here today. Um, this is not your parents' church. We don't pass a basket. We don't just, you don't just donate if you happen to be here. But we've made it super simple and super easy for you to give back to French Church, even if you're not here. So through our app, which you can find off, linked off our website, there is a spot that you can click. You can give a one-time donation, or you can set yourself up for pre-authorized giving, which is just a regular donation that seamlessly happens um, and allows us, frankly, to plan quite well for the year. Having an understanding of what money is coming in allows us to figure out what money needs to go out and to have that planning and that stability. Um, and we look to you, our community, to help us through that time. So thank you very much. The aforementioned treat is now on its way. Thank you. Ah! 
What are you doing? Here to do a little swimming. You gotta wear a life jacket or else you can't come in. No, I'm good. Thank you, though. Life jackets are mandatory. Mandatory to wear a life jacket when you swim? And when you're not swimming, too. Why? Cases of people getting wet are going through the roof. It's a scary time. Put it on. But that doesn't mean they're drowning. People get wet every day. It's part of life. 0.00001182% of all people drown each year. That's practically everybody. So put on a life jacket. That doesn't make any logical sense. I'm not putting one on. I know how to swim. I've had swimming lessons. Oh, swimming lessons? You think those exist? So what, you just think your body has this natural ability to traverse through water in a way that keeps your head up so you can still breathe? Yeah, it's called swimming. Never heard of it. Flotation devices are backed by science. You don't believe in science? I do. It's just... I know how to swim. You're kind of being racist right now. What? Look how his life jacket is keeping him from drowning. He's just standing in shallow water. Put a life jacket on now. You're putting everyone at risk of drowning. How am I putting everyone at risk? Their life jackets won't work unless you have one on. Does his life jacket work? Yes, very well. Then why would he need me to wear a life jacket when his life jacket already works? We have to protect the protected swimmers from the unprotected swimmers. But aren't they already protected? Yes, very well protected. So they should be fine. They would be, except they're not very well protected because of you. Look, you gotta put one on or you can't go in. This feels creepy. So where would I get one? Oh, I'm selling them right here. You're selling life jackets? Yes, of course. So you're demanding that everyone wear a life jacket while you are selling life jackets? Yes, for their protection. And they have to buy the life jacket from you? Indeed. Don't you think that's a conflict of interest? No conflict of interest that I can think of. How much money have you made this year from life jackets? Mm, $27 billion. Seems like you're more interested in making money than keeping people safe from a... You're an anti-science, anti-life jacket, climate change denier. With cases of people getting wet going through the roof, I'm going to need you to buy a life jacket from me and put it on, or else you'll never have access to swimming pools, showers, rain, or drinking water ever again. You're treating me like I'm the enemy. If you're concerned with people drowning, shouldn't you be treating water like it's the danger instead of treating me like I'm the danger? Your body's made up of 70% water, so you're basically a ticking time bomb. Put one on. Buddy, you are the last person I'd want to take direction from. You're so pushy, it's creeping me out. You're like the Harvey Weinstein of lifeguards. Thank you. But look, just today a man up the road died from drowning in a head-on collision car accident because he wasn't wearing his life jacket. Wouldn't he have died from the car accident? A bottle of water was found in the car. Counts as a water death. That doesn't make any sense. God works in mysterious ways, and there is no God, so you'll need to obey me. Oh my God, he's drowning! Help him! Sir, please get out of the pool and put this life jacket on. He can't get out, he's drowning! Grab the edge of the pool, it's right behind you! Just reach for it! No, no, no. It's not an approved method of protection against drowning. It's quite dangerous, actually. Just grab the edge! Do not do that, it's unapproved. For God's sake, just grab the edge! Could we censor him, please? For your protection, do not grab the edge. Help him, your lifeguard! Okay, I will. You should have put a life jacket on while you still had the chance. You're kind of getting what you deserve. Look what you did to him, you monster. This never would have happened if you had a life jacket on. Now put a life jacket on. Okay. Now that you're fully protected, enjoy your swim. I'll need to see proof that you're wearing a life jacket. Show me your papers.
couldn't resist. <laughs> Anytime I have a video where a comedian takes my position and then just makes fun of it for four minutes, I'm all into that. Anyone feel a little uncomfortable after that video? <laughs> it's good to feel uncomfortable sometimes. My favorite line in that is, what was his, it's point zero 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 one four nine. That's practically everybody. The reason I showed you that video is because I think we all have one of those lifeguard people in our lives, or we've experienced that. You know, whether it's somebody in your building, somebody at work, everything's black and white. Everything's easy. Everything's clear, and you know, we just know what to do. There's no gray area. It's just like this or this, and this is wrong, so this is right. Except sometimes life isn't that simple, is it? A friend of mine told me a story. Before he came to Friends Church, he was part of a different community. Started here in Calgary, fresh. He was one of the founding members of this community. Beautiful. He put time and effort and money. He was there right from the beginning. He supported them all the way through. He was on the first board, like putting his shoulder to the wheel to make this community thrive and beautiful. And in some ways it was. Until one day, he became open that he's gay and his marriage started to fall apart. And suddenly, instead of being the founding member of this community, a person who single-handedly has helped this community achieve what, they, what they've achieved, he was kicked out. Black and white thinking. Put your life jacket on. If you don't fit our box, you're out. It's brutal, isn't it? Heard another story. It's, uh, it's, it's the story that, it, this is the one that blew my mind. It's a woman who's uh, attempted to kill herself, take her own life. Days after, she nearly accomplishes what she settled to do. Days later, she's seeing her psychiatrist. Psychiatrist says, like, tell me, what were you thinking the moment you were trying to end your life? She said, that's easy. I was thinking I've never done one good thing in my entire life. Psychiatrist says, hey, would you do me a favor? This next week, I want you to just explore that answer. Is that true? Have you never done anything of value in your whole life? She says, okay. Comes back a week later, she's got a piece of paper. On it are written seven or eight things. She hands it to the psychiatrist. He picks up the first one. She says, I saved my kids from a concentration camp. Her whole family was in Germany. Her whole family was taken in, and somehow she was able to get her kids and smuggle them out of the country, saving their lives. Her husband was killed. All of her family members were killed. But she single-handedly saved her kids' lives and brought them to the States. Not a bad thing to do in your life, right? It's pretty valuable. <laughs> Psychiatrist is looking at, looking at her going, that seems pretty solid. She's like, yeah, okay, yeah. Next line. I scrubbed floors my whole life to 
create an amazing world for my kids. She was an immigrant, so she didn't have a whole lot of education. So she came here and did whatever job she could, and she worked her ass off. She said to the psychiatrist, you know what? Today, today, my son is graduating first in his class from his MBA program. I think maybe I had something to do to help with that. Next one. I speak five languages fluently. Like this (laughs) black and white thinking. She has a moment in her life where she feels like there's no value, there's no nothing, and suddenly her entire life is painted with that picture. I've never done anything of value my whole life. That's what black and white thinking does. Put your life jacket on. But what if the world's more complex than that? What if the world is more gray than that? What if we can't take one moment and paint the entire life through that moment? What if we can look at someone's life and see what they did and go, wait a second, they've done all this good and there's this one thing that doesn't fit, but somehow we can wrestle that out and still find value in a human, not kick them out. That's what this series is about. There will be no putting your life jacket on language where it's like black and white. Hey, come on in. I'm just going to tell you what to do or Jeff's going to tell you what to do and you can walk out and forget about everything. Someone sent me, a, sent me and Jeff an email this week it, or maybe it was last week. It was awesome. Can you throw it up there for me, Catrice? Um, she said at one point, uh, sorry, can you go back to the first part of that one? Uh, I think it starts with catching up on a couple mixed mess, or missed messages. If we can't get it up, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. She says, I was catching up on a couple of missed messages. She said, you know, sometimes I, I wish, like I just started this thing and I'm already sweating because I'm at the spiritual gym. Some days I wish you guys would just like give me one of those feel-good messages that I can forget in like five minutes and not pay attention to because damn, this workout's hard. I'm tired. And then she said, thank you. Thank you for pushing yourselves. Thank you for pushing us. Then she said something about thank you for swearing. I'm not sure how that all worked out because I never swear, but outside of that, this series will be a workout. Not because we just want to make your lives difficult, but because we want to live as love. And I don't know about you, but black and white thinking has hurt so many people through the ages. And right now, as we're the most tired we've probably been as a society, as we've dealt with a year and a half of this pandemic, we're drained. And when we're drained, our brain wants to go to the easiest decision-making process, which is black and white thinking. But we came here not for easy. I think we all came here because we wanted to live a better life, to make a better world. And so here's what I want to say. Grab your energy drink, get a protein bar out, eat something good, because this is going to be a bit of a workout. People said the Ten Commandments. Well, those are at least black and white. (laughs) Yeah, they're not. I took the easiest one this week to show you what we're trying to say. Thou shalt not kill. Pretty straightforward, right? Black and white. Don't have to think too much about that. 
I grew up in, a, in an Anabaptist family. So Anabaptist is like Amish, Mennonite, Hutterite, that tradition. And so my great-great-grandfather was known as a crack shot. In fact, all my, my dad was a crack shot, my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather. Like with a gun, these guys are just spot on. My dad, there's a story of my dad shooting a gopher. While he's in the shower, he opened the door, shot a gopher across the acreage because it was eating up his garden. Then he handed the gun back to my mom and just kept showering. (laughs) My great-great-grandfather, crack shot. You know, he was on a a farm. He was trying to deal with coyotes and, and gophers and all this stuff that was wrecking his farm. But then World War II hit. And in the Anabaptist tradition, you take the commandments as black and white. Not once did he ask, what's this war about? Not once did he say, is this right or is this wrong? Not once did he look at the story that I started with where the woman, you know, got her kids out of a concentration camp. Not once did he say, wait a second, we don't want this world to be this way. The story goes, as soon as the draft happened, he took his gun, climbed into his attic, and threw it over the the apex so it slid down the other side and you couldn't get it. When the draft people came to the house, he spent the war building bridges in B.C. Thou shalt not kill. Black and white. Didn't need to think about it. But there's a story about a, Beth, a woman named Bethany. I don't actually know how to say Arsinoe, maybe is how you say her name. It was a couple years ago. She was from Tennessee. Family gets a call, worst nightmare. Their daughter's gone missing. Comes out that their boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, has kidnapped her. I don't know about you, but that's got to be the worst nightmare of every parent. Your child's missing. Someone's kidnapped them. Two days later, the family finds the daughter and the ex-boyfriend in an abandoned house. They kick open the door. The father's got a gun. Says, stop. The ex-boyfriend looks at them, looks at the girl. They fire a warning shot. Stop. The boyfriend pulls out a knife and starts to attack their daughter. And the father pulls the trigger and kills the ex-boyfriend. Thou shalt not kill. Even something as simple as thou shalt not kill. Now most of the time, yeah, thou shalt not kill, black and white. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Your partner says something drives you nuts. Your kids, you know, whatever. Thou shalt not kill. Good idea. But it's not black and white, is it? My cousin, about a year and a half ago, and I don't mean to be too graphic, but he he goes to the bathroom one day. It's not feeling great. Goes to the bathroom one day. You know that um, bus sign where they have the, the lemon and then it's squeezed and there's a drop of blood coming out of it and it says, if your urine looks like this, that's bad. That's what he had. Fast forward a few months, chemo's taken out his lungs, 
part of his heart, part of his kidneys. They go in and they take out his bladder. They cut it all the way out and they build him a new bladder. They call it a neobladder. It's the most incredible thing. Modern medicine just blows my mind so often. They build him a new bladder tied to new muscles so his old muscles don't work, but he has to figure out how to use it. But it's kind of like he can never shake the infection. Putting a catheter in, he's, wearing, he's had a catheter for you know, six months straight. He says, catheters bring a lot of infection in. So he kept thinking, bladder infection, bladder infection. And he just can't shake him. More and more, they're, they're, they're admitting him, giving him IV antibiotics. It's getting worse. Finally, they do a scan, and you can imagine what happened. The cancer's not in his bladder anymore. It's in his bones. Uh, my mom died of bone cancer. It's a horrible way to die. You live with dozens of broken bones every day. That's what my cousin has to look forward to. The doctors are saying, there's nothing we can do. There's no treatment. There's no support. All we can do is try and make you comfortable. He's higher and higher every time I see him. At some point, can he ask for the suffering to end? There's no, he's, there's no way that he's going to make it through this. There's no cure. He just has more and more pain. Is it fair for him to ask the medical professionals to say, can you please end my suffering? Or do we take this black and white and say, thou shalt not kill ever. He will have to live out the rest of his life in agony. I hear all the stories about the healthcare system worrying about triaging people right now. Essentially what they're saying is we have to let people who are really sick die so that people who are quite sick have a chance of living. Triage is the definition of saying we will let people die even though we might be able to save their lives. Thou shalt not kill should have been an easy one, right? Put on your damn life jacket, black and white. It's not. Anyone listen to revisionist history? Malcolm Gladwell? If you don't, shout out to Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell. You, this is like geek central love the stories but he blows my mind regularly came with a book called the bomber mafia it's about um, the war between the states and japan when they first started fighting they would fly these bombers over people really really high up and they drop bombs i figured if i was the guy dropping bombs and flying the plane further away i am from people shooting at me the better i thought that was a good thing Along came a guy named General LeMay. He said, you know what? This kind of warfare that we've done for centuries now, actually, let me back up. The kind of warfare we've done for the last while has an unbelievable death toll. 
If you've ever watched Saving Private Ryan, you know what I'm talking about. That whole beginning scene, they're getting, tr running towards a beach. I'm not sure what beach it is, but it's one of those famous like Normandy-like beaches. Uh, Trevor, you can correct me with the right title or name later. And just everyone's getting shot. Like everyone's dying. There's like 20 people in a boat and 19 of them die and one person makes it to the, the beach and then they get killed. The, LeMay said, wait, too many people are dying. So what they did is they, he came up with this new way of warfare. He came in to Japan and bombed the crap out of them. And I thought, that's, that's horrible. Like, what are you doing? He said, no, here's the deal. If we come in with shock and awe, the enemy will give up before we have to kill each other. By bombing them this way, we save lives. Does that even make sense to anyone? We're going to go in there, bomb the crap out of them hard, and they'll give up, and we'll save lives on their side, and we'll save lives on our side. I don't even know what to do with that. Thou shalt not kill, but wait, can you kill people in order to save them? Yes, we've seen that already, but does this even make sense? I saw a movie where someone was getting lethal injection. Like, well, you can't do that. That's horrible. Why are you taking a life? And yet, if the person is consistently and regularly tried to hurt other people whenever they're freed, what do we do with that? Thou shalt not kill, and yet they're killing other. I don't know. I don't know. People say to me, especially during this time, as we get more and more stressed, we seem to gravitate, or some of us seem to gravitate towards this black and white thinking. And it's often found in religion. The rest of the world is up there. I have no clue what to do. But these people seem to know exactly what to do. These people are certain. These people are black and white. I'll just do what they say because I'm freaking out. The story of the Bible reads this. One part, the character God, and let me just take an excursus here. When I say the character God, I mean that particularly. Some people say whenever the Bible says God, that is God. I don't have that position. I say this is a person who wrote this section, their views of God. It helps a lot of things, but let me show you where it helps here. The character God says, thou shalt not kill. A little while later, the same author says this. I, the character God says this. I want you to go and kill the Amalekites. Kill them all. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. What? I don't care what the Amalekites did. Kill them all? How does the character God in one say, say thou shalt not kill? And the next thing they say is, kill everybody. Everybody. Not combatants. Men, women, and children. The goats too, the cats. If you take the Bible as this literal rendering of what some super being thinks, that's a tough one to reconcile. But here's what I think. I don't think the Bible takes itself 
through black and white thinking. I think we put that onto the Bible because we're going, give me something black and white. I'm tired. I just need to figure this out. I just need to have a rest. The Bible doesn't even identify itself. The same person says, thou shalt not kill, and then kill everybody and goes, yeah, deal with it. Never that easy. The number of things God says, one part says God never changes his mind. The next part says God changed his mind. Character God, right? I started this message with a video that probably triggered some people. (laughs) The guy took the piss out of my position. That's hilarious. It showed the worst of the people like me. But I get it. Because right now, put your damn life jacket on. It's easy. It's black and white. And when I'm tired, it's what I want. friend of mine actually used to be a pastor here at Friend Church. (laughs) His kids would come to him and say, hey, Dad, can we do X, Y, and Z? And he'd say, well, if you want my answer right now, the answer is no. If you give me some time, though, the answer might change. He understood that right now, I don't have enough energy to go to the gray of this. It's going to be black and white, but if you give me some time, I'll go eat a sandwich, I'll take a little nap, you might get a different answer. I can go into the gray. And that's the heart of this. That's the heart of this series. Not to to let ourselves just go into black and white thinking because we're tired and it's easier and it just... We've all felt that. Have you ever had this moment where you like, you're wrestling with something and finally you draw a line in the sand? I will not do this. And you just feel this like, oh, whew, I don't have to think about it anymore. That's black and white thinking. We've now made the decision. I never have to think about this again until my kid comes out to me and says, hey, my sexuality looks different than you thought it was. Until something at work happens that you're like, wait a second, that, (laughs) we have policy for all this stuff. I don't even know what to do with that. Until everything in our life shows up in the gray of everything. Black and white thinking says, I made the decision. I don't have to think about it anymore. (laughs) I don't have to deal with this crap anymore. I think the way of love says no. I might take a time out and go get a sandwich first so I can get my energy back up. But what's the uniqueness here? Who are you? Why are you making the decisions you're making? Why is this bothering me so much? Black and white thinking is our brain's way of conserving energy. If we want to live that way, remember we talked about our spiritual journey, that's unaware. That's unconscious living. It's our brain going, whatever is the least amount of energy, that's the decision we're going to make. But that's not where love lives, is it? Love lives when we understand what's going on inside of us. When we can see our position and the position of the people around us. And we start to find this we place where we can both live. That's, I think, where love lives. But black and white thinking does not get us there. As I say, a black and white statement. <laughs> Let me soften that. I don't think black and white thinking is going to get us there, huh? <laughs> 
Folks, I know we're tired. I know the world is hard right now. I know we've been putting our shoulder to the wheel for months now. But we exist to inspire each of us, you and me, to make this world a better place to live in love. And this series is going to say, we don't think black and white thinking is going to get us there. And so we're going to come to the gym. We're going to have a workout. You're going to be tired at the end. I'm tired. But we do this for love. And so my encouragement for you this week is to watch we're using black and white thinking not for love, but to save energy in your brain. And ask yourself, wait a second, what part of this conversation is gray that I need to deal with, that I need to wrestle with, that I need to engage with? Because I believe that's where love is. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.